Blog Talk Radio. The headlights are a cut in the fog on a midnight highway. And 18 wheels are a driving through the dawn. There's a Blue Ridge Mountain sunrise filling the mirror. The ashtray's full, the coffee's almost gone And the trucker's heading west to Colorado Passing the miles with his friends on the CB coast And tonight the truck stops somewhere out in nowhere And tomorrow's the wind and the open road Riding that diesel one, chasing that long white line, dropping that load on time, and he's going home. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Pete Carr, and uh, I had a little mix up here. I don't know why. I scheduled the show for 4 o'clock, but it didn't take, so I had to try something a little different. Anyway, we're here, and uh, I am in Denver, Colorado. I'm getting ready to leave and uh, head to Nebraska, make a short trip to Nebraska and back. So I'm sitting up in the truck, and uh, I'm going to do the show, and then I'm going to uh, go ahead and get on the road and uh, work my way up to Omaha, Nebraska for tomorrow morning delivery. And speaking of roads, you know, I really love it when I come across I-70 in Kansas and I see the sign that says, Welcome to Colorado. I love it when I get home, but I'll tell you what, folks, I'm really tempted to go out there and put a second sign underneath the Welcome to Colorado sign. And I want to put the second sign up, and I want it to say, Modern Highway Ends. Because when you hit the state line of Colorado, by God, you hit something. Your your car is all over the road, bouncing and everything. You know, eastern Colorado and western Kansas have the same geology. We have the same kind of soil. We have the same everything. And why is it that when you go across western Kansas, you're on a nice, smooth road, and as soon as you hit Colorado, it's Patchwork City. I am, I've never been so disgusted with a road system outside of Louisiana. Louisiana highways used to be notoriously bad. Colorado has them beat now because Louisiana has upgraded their roads. And it's not just in the Denver metro area, folks. It's all over the state. Our roads are nothing but a patchwork of repairs that have been done over the years. The the last time that we spent any real money on improving our highways was when Glenwood Canyon was completed, and that was, uh, what, back in the 1970s. I remember going through Glenwood Canyon before the uh, the new interstate was put in, and it was a mess. And we have a beautiful new highway through Glenwood Canyon on I-70 West. And that's basically the last time that we have ever spent any money on roads. All we've done is patchwork repairs. And when you do that, you know where the repairs are because your car will find them. Well, I've always said that with a good highway, uh, an investment in a highway is going to bring in people and it's going to bring in business. There's a, a conference coming up in Vail, and it is a transportation and logistics conference 
It's a nationwide conference. It's coming up in Vail. I believe it starts tomorrow. And I saw it mentioned earlier on Twitter. I follow uh, a number of people around the country to see what other people are doing. And the one that I follow in Kansas City that has to do with logistics and highway transportation and all that tweeted about this forum that's coming up in Vail, Colorado. And they're going to be talking about the, uh, the state of logistics in the United States. Kansas City is a major transportation hub. Well, I went ahead and retweeted it, and I said that I would love to see Denver become a major transportation hub. We have everything in place to do that right now. We have available land, especially to the east of Denver. We have some warehouses that are out there now. We could become a major distribution center. We have the land availability. We have I-70. We have I-25. And something else is when a trucker goes into Kansas City, they may drop a load there, and then they'll pick up a load and go to Seattle or Portland or San Francisco with it. They take, they get out of the warehouse and they drive I-70 west into Denver. They pick up I-25 north. They go up to I-80, and they'll go they'll go across I-80 up to the to the west and northwest. They have to come right through Denver. They could, if they wanted to, run up I-29 out of Kansas City and take that up uh, almost to Omaha. You get onto Nebraska Route 2, and that takes you to Lincoln and in an I-80. You can go that way. But most of them just come across Kansas to Colorado and up I-25 to uh, Cheyenne. They're coming through here, but we're not getting any benefit from that driver crossing our interstate. They may stop out at the Tomahawk or the Love Truck Stop, or maybe Johnson's Corner, and they'll buy 100 gallons of fuel and they'll eat a meal. But as far as being a distribution center, nobody in the trucking industry thinks about Colorado. They go through it. And that's another thing. When you truck to Colorado, when you deliver a load to Colorado, it's very hard to get out of here because we don't have anything coming back out. We could put together a huge distribution center over on the east side of Denver, and we could become a major transportation hub for the west and the northwestern United States. There's guys that that will come out of Florida with a load going to Seattle. They pass right through Denver. We get no benefit out of that. And look at the condition of our roads. To have a good transportation center, you need good roads. Even for you folks that are not interstate travelers, if you're just if you're living up in uh, North Glen or up on 104th and I-25 or something like that, and you've got to get to downtown Denver for work, you know what that's like every morning. You you sit there and stop traffic for a half hour, 45 minutes, the road that you do get to drive on, yes, there is construction up on the north side of Denver, and they are working on it, but that's a rough road. When when you and I go and fill up our gas tank, or in the case of me, I will come in and, and go over to Sap Brothers Truck Stop, and I'll buy 100 gallons of fuel. And when you make that purchase, you're paying state and federal road tax. You're paying for the roads. You're not getting the roads. Uh, one of the main reasons why you're not getting the roads that you pay for is because the money that you pay in fuel taxes goes into the state coffers, and then it's taken out for every little project under the sun. Uh, I just read that two more states, Connecticut, and I can't remember the other one, 
but Connecticut and the other state, uh, there is a bill in their state houses to create what's called a transportation lockbox. When the money goes into transportation through fuel and usage taxes and all that, when the money goes into the transportation section, it stays there. It can only be used for transportation projects. And I'm not sure, but I do not believe uh, Colorado has a transportation lockbox on our uh, in the Department of Revenue. I know I have seen a number of things um, earmarked to use transportation funds for things that do not include that, that do not have a transportation component. Now, one can argue that putting in a bicycle path in Longmont or Boulder is transportation related, and and yes, it is. On the other hand, I can also make the counter argument that bicycles do not pay fuel tax, so therefore they are not paying what they are getting. They're not paying for it. And that needs to stop. We need to have a dedicated account for transportation in this state. The roads, the bridges, you know, what they call infrastructure, that all needs to be paid for out of the transportation funds and nothing else. We don't use transportation funds for some other project that has nothing to do or nothing to do directly with transportation. That's what we need to do. If we don't have a transportation lockbox, we need to get it. We need to pass that into law. Anyway, welcome to the show today. We may have an abbreviated show. I'm not sure. It just depends on how things go. Uh, we still have an hour and 17 minutes left, so we have plenty of time here, folks. And if you want to call in, the number is 646-478-5150. 646-478-5150. Give me a call and tell me what's on your mind. Otherwise, the roads, and I also take the need for skilled workers. We'll talk about the roads here for a few more minutes and then we'll get on to the uh, need in Colorado and elsewhere for skilled workers. So there you have it, folks. That's what we're going to do today. And like I said, uh, we have plenty of time. We have an hour and 15 minutes left. I don't do an hour and 15 minute monologue. I love it when somebody calls in and we can talk back and forth. And that way, I can listen to their opinion, and I can learn at the same time. And I just had this conversation the other night that no matter what I know, every time I sit down and talk to a person, I learn something. I I get it from their perspective. And that helps me to make better informed decisions. I can listen to a person. They will explain to me, their situation or their concern and I'll get it from their perspective. And and I learn about something. I can't know everything. You know, I tell people just because I'm a know-it-all doesn't mean I know everything. And that's a little Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania humor. I don't know everything. I learn. I listen. I talk to other people. I read Whatever I can do to learn, I learn. For me to sit here and talk in a monologue for an hour and a half is pretty rough on me. You know, politicians are supposed to be people that love to talk. And and I enjoy talking. I love hearing what you have to say. So if you would like to call in, please do. I'm begging you. 646-478-5150. Give me a call. I will put you on the air, and we can discuss any topic, or we can discuss 
Colorado roads, fuel taxes. We can discuss the need for skilled workers. Anything you'd like to talk about. I have very few exceptions. Um, I know every once in a while I get phone calls from people, uh, to say the least, do not belong on the air, and I will cut you off. So if you want to call and make a stupid remark, go right ahead. You'll get cut off. Other than that, the phones are open. The topics are open, so let's go ahead and give it a call. And I'm going to... I'm going to take a break for a couple of seconds at a time here. That's the way I operate. If I don't have somebody to call and a, and a caller to talk to, I will excuse myself for five or ten seconds and I'll shut up. Other than that, we will continue on. We're talking about Colorado roads. Now, I have been driving Colorado roads since 1975 or 76, probably 75. Interstate 270, I'm sitting right over here by it. Interstate 270 over on the northeast side of Denver, that's always been pathetic. I looked at it coming in yesterday. It needs to be six lanes. Four lanes just doesn't make it. There's a jam up going west from Quebec to Vasquez. It's only two lanes over there. When you get past Quebec going west, it, it goes down to two lanes. It needs to be three. And I've looked and I looked at it. We have some railroads that, that cross underneath. Um, part of 270 is actually built up as a as an artificial hill. It's going to be a real bear to put another lane in. But I think that needs to be done. And I think it needed to be done years ago, 270, just west of Vasquez, either east or west of I put my truck on cruise control. I get it down to about 54 miles an hour if traffic, so, you know, if traffic is okay. And I put it on cruise control because it's so damn rough that if I tried to control my truck using the foot pedal, it would be constantly bouncing up and down. You damn near got to wear a crash helmet across portions of I-270. It's not a very long interstate at all, but it needs a major upgrade. It needs to be six lanes, foundation underneath. You folks and I, we're paying for these roads. And by the time they siphon off all the money from the transportation fund, into other projects, there's nothing left except enough money to come in and do a little asphalt patch. And that's not going to help at all. You're just, you're just pushing the problem down the road, figuratively and literally. At some point, somebody's going to have to tear it up and redo it. And that's what we need to do, especially with I-270. Look at Look at I-25 south of Denver. How nice and big and wide and beautiful that is. That's because we're trying to get people into the Denver Tech Center. But you folks that live up in Commerce City or whatever, Brighton, trying to come down into Denver, they don't care about you. And I-76, I-270, it's a mess. It can be just as nice as I-25 south. We need to get in there and we need to fix these roads. And it's not just it's not just the interstate. It's the US highways. Eighty five, highway eighty five, route six. Now, all of that needs to be repaired and done correctly. That's a lot of the problem right now, is that they've spent money after money repairing the roads when they should have torn them completely up put them in correctly to last and put them back in service. But no, they spend as, as least amount of money possible to put the road in, and then for the next 20 years, they keep patching it. If they had built the road to last 20 or 30 years in the first place, 
we would have been a lot better off. Um, having a drink here, folks. There goes my blood sugar. But that's all right. I got to go to work town a little bit anyway. I'll burn it off. Anyway, give a call. Uh, we still have an hour left. And uh, once I get the two topics, if uh, if we don't get a caller, then I'll close the show out early. Well, with roads, what more can I say? You know, there there used to be a bunch of sayings. People used to make up these sayings, Soviet Union, and they were they were making a joke about the Soviet Union, and they would twist words around. The saying always started in Soviet Union, and I remember one clearly. It was in Soviet Union. Television watches you. So you get the idea, you know, like in Soviet Union, radio listens to you. You get the idea of what it was. I posted on Twitter. I said, in Colorado, the road hits you. Just ask your mechanic when you go in for new shocks, and they'll tell you, oh, you're a Colorado resident. We're happy to see you because you're keeping us in business putting shocks on the car. Well, we need to change that, folks. The municipalities, the cities and towns, maybe the counties, they're in charge of your local streets. As far as the state is concerned, it's major and and usually interstate and U.S. highway uh, maintenance and upkeep and, and all that. And that's another thing, you know, for years, there was an Interstate 27 that was drawn up, and it went basically from I-20 south of Lubbock, Texas. Interstate 27 was drawn up to go north through Lubbock, Texas, through Amarillo, through Boise City, Oklahoma, Springfield, Colorado. Lamar, Colorado, and up to Lyman, where it was supposed to meet I-70. That's supposed to be Interstate Highway, I-27. It's not there. Down in Texas, it's there, but not Oklahoma or Colorado. Excuse me. I lived for years in the in the Lamar area. I lived right off of 287, uh, U.S. 287. And all that traffic from Texas, you know, a lot of guys that trek from Dallas and Fort Worth area to the northwest, they all come up 287 from uh, Fort Worth. They go up to Amarillo. They hit I-27. They take that a little bit. They go through the town of Dumas, and they go on up up, uh, through Oklahoma, Colorado, and they hit I-70. And, man, people do not like going through Lamar, Colorado, day and night. The people in Lamar don't like it either. Um, I know back when when Rocky Flats was, uh, was a nuclear weapons plant, and some of you old-time Coloradans remember this, we used to build um, nuclear triggers at Rocky Flats. Anyway, the Department of Energy used to send tractor trailers from Pantex in Amarillo, Texas, up 287, I-70 West, and over to uh, Rocky Flats. They had nuclear materials going through downtown Lamar. Found out about this. They said, no, we can't have this. Well... Interstate 27 was supposed to bypass Lamar to the west. And for years, from the 1970s to now, the town fathers of Lamar said, no, we can't build an interstate highway because that will take the traffic away from Lamar. We will lose business. 
Some people don't want Interstate 27 there because they'll lose business. Other people don't want the trucks running through Lamar day and night. And we have a big, um, a big push in Texas in the fall. And we're trying to get skiers to come up to Colorado. When you go north on twenty on two eighty seven to come up to our ski resort, when you get up there to um around between Amarillo and Dumas, there's a big billboard and it says the best route ski resorts in Colorado. Go up to Dumas, go across to Dalhart, go through Clayton, New Mexico get I-25 at Raton and go north. They are trying to get the skiers to get off of 287 at Dumas and don't run it from Dumas to Lyman. That should be an interstate highway. By bringing all of those skiers back over to Colorado east side, make a bypass around Springfield, you know, start right there at Campo, Colorado, right at the state line. Bypass Campo, Springfield, Lamar. You got um, Kit Carson. You know, bypass them, run it up to Lyman, and hit I-70. Going to be interchanges, highway interchanges on Interstate 27 so that you can get off and go into Lamar. That's where we can put hotels, we can put restaurants, we can put truck stops. We can build all that there. The towns will still benefit from the traffic. You know, if you've ever run down through Lamar on 287, you have the Cow Palace on the north side. And after that, um, what you would call second-class motels running down through Lamar. The only good place to stay in Lamar is up on the north side. Um, When you're going north, it's just before you cross the Arkansas River, and it's over on that left side, the Cow Palace. And I think it's the best west. I'm not sure. That's the only decent place to stay in Lamar. They do have... A, uh, a Walmart Super Center out 50 east. Uh, from the center of Lamar, you would make a, a right turn on Olive, is actually US 50 east. You would go out there a couple miles, and that is where the Walmart Super Center is. If you're traveling from Dallas, Texas, up to the ski areas, and you didn't know where the Walmart was in Lamar, you would just simply drive north on Main Street, and miss the turn completely. Having a Walmart out there is practically useless. On the other hand, having an interchange out there on the west side of Lamar, on Interstate 27, up there a couple of miles west, probably about four or five miles west of the town of Lamar, across the Arkansas River, you got plenty of free land. The only thing in that area that I know about is when you when you go north out of Lamar now, you cross the Arkansas, you make a left-hand turn, and that takes you on 50 west and 287 north. You go out about eight miles. There's a big feed yard right there. You make a right turn to go up 287. So you're, you do have a feed yard up there that's in the way. Other than that, there's plenty of open space out there. We can build a nice highway interchange. We can have all the amenities, and it'll actually draw people into to, to buying things in the Lamar area. It'll also cut down quite a bit on the traffic going north and south. Now, US-50 also runs east and west through Lamar. You'll still have all of that traffic. But that's going to be far less than, than the 287 traffic. 
Interstate 27 is one of my big projects. I would love to see that built. I think it will draw more people into Colorado and especially eastern Colorado. So we need to look at that. Um, Western and southwestern Colorado, you know, you folks got nothing down there. You got 285 uh, that runs out of Denver, goes over Kenosha Pass, goes down to the San Luis Valley. And that's about it. You, you guys, you know, if you live south of I-70 and west of I-25, that big chunk of southwest Colorado, you have practically nothing out there except a couple of U.S. highways. We need to change that. Maybe 285 needs to be an interstate down I would look into that. Okay, anyway, that's about it on the roads for right now. You know, build them right, build them to last, band or interstate footprint. That in a nutshell is what I just talked about. And like I said, if you'd like to call, 646-478-5150. That's my guest calling line, 646 646- Four seven eight five one five zero, and we have fifty seven minutes left, folks. And I'm sitting in a truck that's getting warmer by the minute here. I may crank it up for a few minutes and turn my air conditioning back on. Give me a call. Tell me what you're thinking. I'd love to know what you're thinking. Let me go ahead and crank the truck up. Get the air conditioning running for a few minutes here. This, uh, I'm, I'm trying my, uh, my earbuds, my, my wireless earbuds. So I don't know what the sound quality is going to be like. We'll find out. Uh, typical, typical Denver. We had a thunderstorm over here about an hour ago, and now it's bright sunlight again. Well, the other thing that I was going to talk about is the need for skilled workers. I read an article the other day, and I think it was either from the Denver Post or the Denver Business Journal. And the article was talking about electricians. We have uh, a big construction boom going on in the Denver area. And the article focused in on the need for skilled electricians. Apparently, they have a lot of buildings that just simply don't have enough electricians to put the, put the wiring in. And I was just talking about this, and I, I retweeted it, and I also said it's not just the electricians that are having trouble finding people. It's everybody. Carpenters, bricklayers, masoners, plumbers, truck drivers, we are all feeling this pinch. Younger people don't want to get into these jobs. They would rather sit around all day and play on their iPad and write apps or do whatever. They don't want to get out there and, and string cable or have to build, uh, you know, have to run conduit through a new building in order to put the electrical system in. They don't want to do that stuff. They don't want to work with pipes and plumbing. They certainly don't want to get out here and drive these trucks. We have a shortage of skilled laborers, laborers all over the spectrum. I also just saw that in in the trucking industry, we need about 100,000 drivers right now. And somebody has put forth a proposal to take convicted felons who are out of prison, take convicted felons and put them into truck driving school and let them be truck drivers. Well, 
you know, I drive up and down the road. I've done so for over 4 million miles. And I've lived in these trucks. A prisoner in a jail cell has more room than I do. So maybe they would feel right at home driving a truck. But that's where we're coming to, folks, is that we have got to look outside the box to find truck drivers. There is nothing in the federal law that says a person who has done their time can't be a truck driver. But it was very difficult. You know, and it's difficult for an ex-con to get a job of any kind. We know that. That's why the recidivism rate is so big, because these guys do their time. They get out of prison. They come out here to the world. They have no opportunity. What are they going to do? They're going to go rob someplace and get put back in prison. At least they got, you know, three hots and a cot. At least they have a place to live because they have nothing out there. There's no opportunity for them. Giving a person a job out of prison does help keep them out of jail. So I can go along with that. I would like to see that. Another thing that I have been all along is, and I ask the question, when was the last time you saw a job fair in a poor neighborhood? You don't. It'll be down at the Denver Merchandise Mart or some other convention center or whatever. But you don't see prospective employers going down to the poor neighborhoods of Denver and looking for workers, having job fairs. You don't see it. They think all there is down there is a bunch of drug addicts, don't have GEDs, are dumb as a box of rocks, and and the best they'll ever do is be able to steal a car. They don't go down there and give those people the opportunity to make something for themselves. And I've always said, the best cure for poverty is a job. Put a paycheck in that person's hand on Friday morning or Friday afternoon. Instead of a welfare check, give them a paycheck. You look at the money that has been spent over the years on what's called the war on poverty. Billions of dollars. If we would have taken those billions of dollars, divided it up by the number of people on public assistance and wrote checks, we would have been better off. Because a lot of that money on the war on poverty goes to administrators. They're making good money. The person, you know, if you're down on your luck and you need some public assistance and you walk into an office and you sit down with a caseworker, I'll tell you, that caseworker is probably doing somewhere between thirty and 50000 a year. You're making nothing. How about the bite it in half and they give you twenty five grand? That would have been better off than what we're doing now. I I believe people who are able to work should work. Get off the public assistance and get a job. We have to go to them. We have to go down and create the job fairs and, and create the training and give them the transportation that they need. You know, Denver has really come up with public transportation. They're putting in the light rail system. They put one in from downtown up to the airport. That's fine for the business traveler. But what about somebody that that lives down in Denver and there isn't a bus line nearby or they can't take the light rail? How are they supposed to get to work? You can give them the best job in the world, but if they... If they don't have a car and they don't have public transportation, what are they supposed to do? Walk? Everything has got to come together. Access to, access to transportation, the ability to 
you know, to do the job or the training to do the job and the offer of the job. And another thing we got to look at too, folks, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this or not, there's such a thing primarily in urban centers. It's called food deserts. It's supposed to be where there are no grocery stores in your neighborhood. And I've looked at Denver and I've looked at Detroit because Detroit's my adopted home town. I've looked at, and, and I can see what they're talking about. You know, people have to catch a bus to go out to Aurora to go to a Walmart super center to buy their groceries. We need to encourage the retail merchants to come neighborhoods, put in a grocery store, and, and don't have rip-off prices either. Unfortunately, people who live in the inner city, in the poorer neighborhoods, the only opportunity they have to buy any kind of food are generally the gas station convenience stores. And the food prices are astronomical. And it's not that good of food. We need we need a grocer to come in, you know, to stand up and say, okay, I'm going to put in a grocery store. I'm going to offer decent prices. You know, I can make a profit off of I can stay in business, but I'm not going to rip these people on. We need somebody to come in and do that. Because part of having a decent job is the ability to come home and have a good meal. All of this is going to tie together. That's what we have to look like, look at. We can create jobs, but if you don't have a place to shop and spend your money, it's useless. Or if you have somebody offered you a great job and you need to get there and back home again and there's no public transportation, and you don't have a car, well, you're screwed. I was talking about this very thing last night, and I will give you a personal story. Back around 1986, I was living out in Lamar, Colorado. I was married. We had just had Elizabeth. She was about a year old. And I I was renting a ranch out there in the Wyman area. Anyway, um, I was working at a local truck stop. I got fired. I didn't have a job. About six or eight months before that, I had gone out and bought a brand-new 1989 Dodge Spirit. That was our transportation. About six months after I bought the car, I lost my job. My ex-wife and I got in the car and we drove to Aurora to see if we could get some help, some public assistance. And we filled out all the paperwork and all that. And you have to put down, you know, your address and phone number, whether you're buying or renting, and people in your family and you have to put down your assets. And I put down the 89 Dodge Spare. And then we talked to a caseworker. And a caseworker told me they could not help us because we owned a car. If you sell your car, we can, we can help you. Folks, if you know anything about Colorado, why am I in Colorado? I'm 90 miles from Denver. And this dude wanted me to sell my car to get on public assistance. How in the world was I going to be able to drive into Denver and look for a job if I had to sell that car? I told him, no thanks, we're out of here. Shortly after that, I found a job, everything was fine again. But it brings up a a good point. You're 90 miles from Denver. There's no jobs out in the Lyman area. Now now they have the prison. You've got to work at the prison. But other than that, back in the the early 80s, there wasn't any jobs in Lyman. 
I had to drive to Denver to look for a job. I had to have those. We could have sold the Dodge and bought an old beater for 50 bucks that, you know, is one of these hope and pray cars. You hope and pray you make it. I think that we need to revamp our public assistance system. And we have to look at individual circumstances. If a person is nine, if 90 miles out in the country, I don't think we should be taking their transportation away from them. So, yeah, I have, I have first-hand experience with public assistance. We didn't get the public assistance because I was too rich. I had a car, a new car. We didn't qualify. But I I enjoyed listening to people that are in circumstances right now where they're taking public assistance. And I like to learn what's their situation and what can we do to better this. And I also, in the back of my mind, when I'm talking to somebody, I think, is this person available for work? Can we find them a job? either work outside the home or inside the home. But can we find can we train them? Can we get them to make it a paycheck somehow? And I've suggested to people different ways that they can make legitimate money. I've done that. Like I said, rather see people getting a paycheck than a welfare check. Get off the food stamps and go buy your groceries. Do that. That's up to us at the state level to be able to facilitate that. The only way that you are going to eradicate poor neighborhoods is get the people that live there up into the middle class. Give them the opportunities. We're not doing that now to the Democratic Party at this point. I have said for years, It's very simple to understand the Democratic Party when you are talking about poor and especially poor African Americans. The Democratic Party will promise you a better tomorrow for your vote today. The problem is tomorrow never comes. And the next time there's an election, they're going to make some more promises so they get your vote again and you're not going to get anything. I would rather give people a hand up than a handout. And that's not a Democrat or a Republican position. That's an economic position. Because when you have people out there making money, making their own money, they are less of a burden on the rest of the taxpayers. And, and yes, I will say there are people in the state of Colorado right now who legitimately need our help, and we need to help them do a job. They have a disability for whatever reason. They can't work. And we as a society need to help those people. We can't let them sit there and starve to death in a dark apartment. But there are also a lot of people who have gamed the system, who can work, but they would rather sit home and take public assistance. And those people, we need to get them off of that. Whether it's because of a lack of opportunity or a lack of transportation or a lack of training, whatever puts them in that position, we need to help them out of it. We need to get them off the welfare rolls and onto the payroll. That's what we need to do. I would love to see... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I would love to see, down on their luck, for a person in poor circumstances, go to a training school, get paid tuition, go to a training school, Learn a skilled trade, electrician, plumber, carpenter, truck driver, whatever. 
Learn a skill trade. Get a job. You know, folks, I drive a company truck here. I also own my own truck, and I'm getting that ready to put on the road. But I own, I run a company truck right now. I'm a company truck driver. And I average about $1,000 a week take home. Grand a week. And I'm doing it legitimately in a legal profession. And I'm not having to take my clothes off to do it, folks. Isn't that amazing? All because somebody taught me how to drive a truck back in 1974. We can do that. We can help people. You know, I have I have a couple of sayings that I use. And one of the sayings that I use, and especially in talking about people from the inner city, young men and women, and, and training them to drive trucks, I say, we need to get them off the streets and on the road. That's my saying. That's exactly what we need to do. Because when you're on the street, you're our responsibility as far as the legal system is concerned. You might be up to no good. But you put the, you give that person the skill and the training and put them on the road driving a truck. They're making an honest living. They are not a burden on the legal system. They're not a, a burden on... They are making money. They are paying taxes. They are productive, useful citizens. That's what we need to do. That's my promise of a brighter tomorrow. And whether I happen to get governor or not, I'm still looking at how can I set it up to sponsor a young man or woman, take them off the street, put them in truck driving school, and get them on the road. It doesn't take a government agency to do this. You can do that as a private citizen, looking into doing that. I have uh, one person that owns a truck driving school over on the east side of Denver, over there by Watkins. They follow me on Twitter. We talk back and forth. I'm thinking about working out a program where we can take a young person off the street, say a person that got busted and put on probation or whatever, give them the opportunity to walk away from a life of crime and to drive down the road and make decent money. I'm looking into that. I don't need to be governor of any state to do that. I can do that as a private citizen. I can create a foundation. I can collect contributions and donations and all that, and we can do this and on the road. And that's going to help the driver shortage out. This is, this is the way I operate, folks. I look at a problem. I find solutions. And, you know, I kind of kid around, and I say there's no problem that can't be solved with a big bag of money. Yes, it takes a big bag of money to do these things. But let's look at it this way. Would you rather pay 1500 or $2,000 one time, person to drive a truck, or would you rather pay $1,000 a month to incarcerate that person for 20 years? That's pretty easy to figure out, folks. You either make a one-time payment of a grand or you pay every month for 20 years. That's a no-brainer. I would rather pay the $1,000, put them through truck driving school, get them on the road. That's what we need to do. The same thing with electricians. The article was talking about electricians. If a person says, I want to be an electrician, I think I got, you know, the aptitude or whatever, then let's pay for them to go to electrical electrician school. The electrician's union would love us for that. Same thing with carpenters, plumbers, masonry workers, everybody. We can create, you know, the jobs are out there. We can create electricians and all that. We can take them off the street. We can cut off that path to the prison. 
we can cut them off and we can direct them over to a good, decent, legitimate job. That's what we need to do. And that's what my administration as governor would do. We would go down and get the street hustlers and take them off the street. Maybe we need to make them salespeople. But yes, let's do something with them. Create the opportunities. Because right now, those people are on dead-end streets. I lived in those kind of neighborhoods in the late 60s and early 70s in, De- in, in Detroit. And what did I do? I joined the Army. In 1971, I left the streets of Detroit, and I joined the Army. If I didn't, I know I was headed for prison. I know this. There were no opportunities for me in Detroit at the time. I went around, and I put in a lot of applications. I worked uh, I worked nights as a janitor. But that's that's not a that's not a profession. That's not something you're going to retire. I made money legitimately, but folks, I was a half a step away from going illegal. I had come out of an army family. I said I'll join the army, and I joined the army, and I became a truck driver after after military service. I put myself on that path. But yes, I could have gone to prison. And now I'm looking at it and I'm saying, we can do this for other people. We need to do this. We must do it. We only have one other choice. And that is to incarcerate them. Only other choice we have because these people are headed. You know, I I talked about living in Lyman, Colorado. They're getting ready to be residents of Colorado for three to or residents of Lyman for three to five years. That's where these people are headed. You know, prison has become an industry now. Because we have not given people an alternative. We simply don't care about them. It's changed. And that's what I will do. Well, anyway, folks, we got 30 minutes left, and I'm just about talked out, I'll tell you. We covered the roads. We covered the need for skilled workers. We covered the need to give a hand up, not a handout. We, this isn't politics. This is survival. Their survival and ours. Look at what's happening around Denver right now. The gentrification that's going on. They are pushing middle class people out. When, um, when Antoinette and I first came back to Colorado in 2008, we shared a house with a friend over in Green Valley Ranch. It was almost paid off, and he was talking about selling it in 2010, and he said he could probably get about 134. That house is worth about 300,000 now. The same house, because real estate and rental prices have shot up through the roof. The middle class cannot afford to live here anymore. But yet, this is what runs Denver and what runs Colorado. The skilled, the everyday people that go and do a job, they are the ones that run Colorado. Yeah, it's nice to have a job as a computer programmer making 150, 200000 a year. That's a nice deal. And having a nice home, $300,000 home, that's nice. But when you go to take your garbage out and put it out on the street, who's going to pick it up for you? When you stop at the dry cleaners on your way to work and drop your suit off, who's going to clean it for you? 
when the traffic lights malfunction at that intersection, who's going to come out and fix them for you? We need people of all skill levels, all experience levels, and all economic levels. The middle class run this country, folks. Men and women like me that get in a truck for fifty or 60000 a year and drive up and down the highways. We're the ones that, that make this country work. And the gentrification movement has done nothing but shove us away. I could probably afford a $300,000 house right now. It would take everything extra out of my pocket. But I could. But what about you and the other people that are that are working or even working full time and making twenty or thirty thousand a year? You can't afford to live here. That's gotta change. Affordable housing is one of my big deals. We need to get back to affordable housing. I think the whole gentrification thing is about over. And I've talked about that before. I think the developers have to look at the long term and they have to say, okay, we will always need people to work in this distribution center and and people to serve the food in the restaurant, to cook the food, to work in the grocery store. We will always need those people and they will always need affordable housing. And we need to convince this whole thing, this whole big boom with gentrification, they're going to overbuild They're going to have empty units, and you and I can't afford to move in there. And the developers are going to lose money. The developers right now need to stop what they're doing, you know, finish their projects, and they need to move back to affordable housing. Plain and simple. That's what we need to see done. Anyway, folks, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go ahead and close the show. We've got 25 minutes left, so... You know, we went an hour and five minutes. That's fine. If you have anything on your mind, you can always get a hold of me on Twitter, Car for Gutless, C-O, C-A-R-R-O-R, the number four, R-4, excuse me, Car for Gov, okay, Car, the number four, Gov, a C-O, Car for Gutless, C-O. Just look for Peter Carr. And you'll see the little Colorado flag icon. That would be me. Look for Peter Carr on Twitter. Send me a message. Follow me on Twitter. Listen to me here on Blog Talk Radio on Sundays at 4 p.m. Mountain Time. And uh, I'll go ahead and close the show out now. It's been uh, great talking. Uh, I love it when I get callers, but unfortunately we didn't get a caller today. Maybe next week. Maybe as the show progresses, we'll get callers in. Anyway, folks, have a great week. And uh, we will see you here next Sunday right here on blogtalkradio.com. So we will talk to you later. I'll play my closing theme song, and we will be out of here, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. He's smiling through, just like you always do, till the blue sky. Drive the dark clouds far away. So will you please say hello to the folks that I know? Tell them I won't be long. They'll be happy to know that it's you.